This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I am really excited about this show. I I don't think uh, a lot of Mississippians are aware of what a great resource the National Sea Grant Law Center is. And it's housed here right at our university and as part of our law school. And I'm, I'm so lucky to work with professors Showalter Otz and Janice, and great to welcome them to the show. Thank, yes, thank you so much. Uh, S- Stephanie Showalter Otz, uh, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center. We're glad to have you with us from your basement, your office. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm in my kitchen slash living room today. Yeah, fantastic. And we also have senior research counsel for the National Sea Grant Law Center, Kathy Janice. And where are you joining us from? I'm in my home office as well. Fantastic. Both are attorneys and are part of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Yes, and we're so happy. I hope that one day, you know, we normally would have them both in studio here in the law library, and I hope we can do that again maybe in the fall. That would be great because they've both been guests on the show before and love to show and highlight the uh, the work of the National Sea Grant Law Center, which uh, is always important. I mean, they were important. They, they started in 2002, and, in fact, Stephanie was the first uh, person to work uh, with the Sea Grant Law Center, uh, the first research council. Now she's the director. And, uh, you know, they've done so much for the state in, in terms of, you know, Katrina, uh, post, post-Katrina, uh, but also the, uh, the oil spill and uh, so many, you know, other things that they've done. And now, you know, what they're doing for uh, the COVID uh, issues and the CARES Act is really, really important. So welcome. And can you tell us a little, both a little bit about your backgrounds? Yeah, sure. So thanks so much for having us. So this is Stephanie. So the National Sea Grant Law Center works with universities around the country to provide information on legal issues facing coastal communities. Um, Sea Grant is actually modeled after the land grant system that more of our listeners might be familiar with. Um, But instead of extending university research to farmers, we focus on extending research to fishermen, aquaculture operators, and all the other stakeholders that are living along our coasts. Um, so I went to Vermont Law School and specialized in environmental law. As um, Richard mentioned, I've been serving as director of the National Sea Grant Law Center for over 15 years now, which is amazing to me. So I'll let Kent, Kathy introduce herself, but I also wanted to recognize the work of the other attorneys at the center who have been working on our CARES Act COVID um, resources, including Tara Bowling um, and Zachary Klein and Christina Alexander, who's with the Mississippi Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program has also contributed research assistance. 
Hi, this is Kathy again. So I've been an attorney at the Law Center for almost eight years, um, which is unbelievable to me as well. It's gone so fast. But I went to Rutgers for law school and have an LLM from Lewis and Clark Law School in Environmental and Natural Resources Law. So like Steph, I specialize in environmental law, but I was a corporate lawyer right out of law school in New York City. So I'm trying to recall some of that knowledge as we work as a team on this COVID-19 issues facing individuals and businesses. Well, it's, it really is so great to have you both. And I know that one of the issues that you're working on uh, deals with the fishing and seafood industry in this time. And that's always an important uh, you know, industry for our region, certainly, uh, and on the coast. But uh, you've created a Web page addressing the issues for those industries during the pandemic. Do you, would you please talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so on our COVID-19 resource page, we're trying to do what like, a lot of organizations are doing with respect to compiling information about the various release, relief programs that Congress is authorizing to address the financial impact. But with respect to the fishing and seafood aquaculture industries, like any segment of the economy, they have their own unique ways of uh, establishing their businesses. For instance, this industry relies a lot on independent contractors. Many people are self-employed. So there are some um, additional um, information or help that they need as they try to navigate uh, the current situation. And so we've organized the information by program and listeners will find the text of legislation that Congress is passing, any relevant federal guidance that is being issued, um, as well as graphics and tip sheets that we're producing to provide overviews of the programs, hypotheticals that illustrate how benefits are calculated depending on how your business is structured or how you as an individual are classified, um, and considerations to keep in mind when deciding among options. Um, we've also been doing some webinars um, for our university partners and recordings of those webinars, um, the slides and uh, question and answer documents are also available on our website. And we'll have that website on the podcast and website information for this show. This morning, we're talking about the CARES Act, our national legislative response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I don't think our experts will be able to tell you when you'll receive your stimulus check. But if you've listened to the uh, NPR News that, and uh, Money Talks, they've mentioned that uh, uh, additional individuals, uh, new rounds of stimulus checks have been mailed out. And you'll get your check when you get your check. And you can go to the IRS's website to make sure that your payment information is correct. And Liz, I got to say, I, I in, in researching for the show, you know, the CARES Act has only been around since the first part of April. Uh, as it was signed in, in early April, and uh, there were other provisions that came in a little bit earlier. But the, the website that um, National Secret Law Center has created uh, is the best resource I've seen on, on many subjects. So you're right. It's not just about the fishing and seafood industries, but they've done a great job you know, going through the, the parts of the CARES Act that might apply to our listeners. So it's well worth going to that website. Now, um, Stephanie and Kathy, what, what relief is available under the CARES Act for those who make a living from seafood and fishing? Let's start with that. 
Yeah, so the CARES Act authorized three relief programs that are not just available for seafood, fishing, and aquaculture industries, but kind of anybody working in the wider economy across the country. Um, the, the programs that are getting the most attention are the changes they made to unemployment compensation. Um, they authorized what's known as the Paycheck Protection Program. That's got a lot of coverage in the media. And then there were also um, an economic injury disaster loan um, that is those loan programs are run by the Small Business Administration. Um, individuals can benefit from these programs in several ways, depending on their employment status. Um, for instance, um, businesses can apply for loans for funding to continue to pay their workers. So an individual may benefit because they um, their employer is able to keep them on the payroll. Um, but self-employed individuals are also eligible to apply to these programs for their own information or funding for themselves. Yeah, and Richard, the, the one other thing that they um, implemented is there is a provision in the CARES Act that's specifically for fisheries participants, um, and but that money is going to flow directly to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, um, and so they. Congress appropriated about $300 million to go to people who work in fishing, fishing communities, certain aquaculture businesses and processors that have been affected by COVID-19. Um, and it's, that funding is supposed to run through September 31st of 2021. But there's been little guidance so far about how that money is going to kind of flow. There's been some chatter that it's going to go directly to the state fishing departments. Um, and so if you're in the fishing business, that's something you should keep an eye on. But the details of that program haven't really emerged yet. Well, you know, I, it, it seems also, um, and I, I saw one thing on your site uh, from the Small Business Administration that basically said, hey, you know, that we're, we're pretty well overwhelmed at this point is, is kind of how I interpret it. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time, and I think people do have to be patient because this is new for everyone. We're going to continue our discussion with attorneys from the University of Mississippi School of Law about the CARES Act and the other national legislation. Where can you hear more about the CARES Act? I'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you would like more information about COVID-19, 
MPB has a dedicated website, mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. There are news reports, Mississippi Department of Health information, and recordings of our governor's press briefings. This morning, we're talking about legislation that's been passed to assist us during the coronavirus era with Stephanie Showalter Otts, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center, and with Catherine Janice, senior research counsel from the National Sea Grant Law Center. Both are attorneys and are part of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We have a call waiting. We're going to go to James, who's called in from Biloxi. James, thank you for being being part of our show today. What's your comment or question for In Legal Terms? A uh, question about the CARES Act and how uh, it applies for self-employed people. Um, is, I understand under state unemployment law, if you're self-employed, you qualify for zero benefit. Uh, the CARES Act filed on a $600 benefit. Is that prorated by the state or is that an outright benefit? Yeah, thanks, James, for your question. So, yes, the um, CARES Act actually authorized um, what they refer to as um, pandemic emergency unemployment compensation, which provides up to um, 13, um, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, 13 additional weeks of federally funded unemployment benefits. For self-employed individuals in Mississippi, um, the process is you would apply through the normal state unemployment compensation program but you first, but you have to get denied, as you mentioned, because self-employed individuals are not eligible for regular unemployment benefits. But they are entitled to the federal benefits that were authorized through the CARES Act. Um, and so that's they'll calculate your wages as a self-employed individual according to your tax forms, and the state would figure out what compensation you would be entitled to there. Then individuals also will, can receive $600 um, supplement to traditional benefits between March 29th and July 31st. So the $600 supplement is not prorated. So um, anyone who is um, has lost their job um, can apply through the state unemployment process. If you're self-employed, you will initially be denied and need to wait for further guidance from the Mississippi Department of Employment um, related to how um, the pandemic unemployment assistance for self-employed individuals will work. So okay. they're just uh, taking a while. I stepped through the process, and I'm assuming it is because everything is new, because what I got was a letter saying under the pandemic unemployment that there would be $106, and that why I did not know if the federal was being prorated by the state or if it's just a paperwork to where the notifications are not going out on the full federal amount. I didn't know how that was handled. Yeah, I, I think it's because there's actually, they're two different programs. So if your letter said the pandemic unemployment assistance, that $106 would be what the state has determined is your weekly benefit. That okay. $600 supplement is referred to as the pandemic un, 
pandemic emergency unemployment compensation, um, which is added on to the pandemic unemployment assistance. So um, the letter may not reference the $600 supplement at this point. Um, Great. That's what I was assuming, and I appreciate the information. Thank you, James. And we want to remind all of our listeners that Money Talks had the uh, some executives from the Mississippi uh, Employment Security Division on a past episode. You can listen to that podcast. And from what they've said and what the governor's press briefings have said, they are extra slammed and they can't hire enough people to keep answering the phones. So that that's going to be an exercise in patience to get through the uh, Employment Security Division. Today we are talking about the legislative measures that have been passed for relief from the coronavirus with Stephanie Showalter-Otts and Kathy Janice, both attorneys at the University of Mississippi School of Law with the National Sea Grant Law Center. And as always, we've got Professor Richard Gershon with us also. Well, there's not, you know, James's question is really an important question. In a gig economy like this, you know, most people who are self-employed don't have unemployment insurance. And it may be something, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll come out of this. Uh, I know we will, but we'll come out of it and maybe think, uh, you know, differently in a gig economy about how we insure people who are self-employed as well, you know, because that might be something we ought to consider. But, you know, the, the website that uh, is on uh, National Sea Grant Law Center's uh, webpage that deals with with uh, the CARES Act has that information about the pandemic unemployment assistance. But in addition to the seafood industries, your webpage has a wealth of information about other things for uh, individuals and small business. So what what relief is available for people uh, who have lost their jobs? We talked about that. But but what about you know, talk a little bit more about how um, how the CARES Act expands unemployment benefits for employees who lost their jobs. So what what other things you mentioned some of them? Yeah, so there's actually three different uh, pieces of unemployment uh, compensation that the CARES Act addresses. First, the CARES Act authorizes pandemic emergency unemployment compensation, which will provide up to 13 additional weeks of federally funded unemployment benefits for individuals who have exhausted their regular unemployment benefits. So that is for people who normally would have qualified for state unemployment benefits, but um, would run out of benefits in a shorter amount of time. So under the CARES Act, unemployment benefits can now go up to 39 weeks total. It also authorizes the federal pandemic unemployment compensation um, that James was asking about. That's a $600 supplement to traditional state benefits, um, which is provided between March 29th and July 31st of 2020. Um, The third piece is the pandemic unemployment assistance, which allows self-employed individuals and independent contractors that are paid through 1099s that normally are not eligible for state um, unemployment benefits to apply and receive benefits um, that are funded by the federal government. And so that um, 
the time periods for the pandemic employment assistance um, is the same as with other um, individuals, thirty up to 39 weeks, and you would also get the $600 supplement. So it's a big expansion of eligible workers who can file for unemployment. And that is why um, the state unemployment offices are so overwhelmed right now, Um, not just the sheer number of claims, but also the expansion of who can um, apply and file for claims. We have uh, a question and email. Let's go to our question. It's Michelle McAdoo, our uh, board engineer and MPB personality. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being a part of um, our show today. I have a question. I am, my situation is a little different, but I know a lot of people are in my same situation. I'm a DJ, a radio personality. I work at two radio stations. The second radio station that I've been employed um, at for 18 years furloughed me and the rest of our part-time staff. I have been trying to apply under the CARES Act for um, benefits for my part-time job, which under the CARES Act I read that I am eligible for. But of course, I found out what you were saying today. I found out yesterday that I have to be um, denied first. I attempted three weeks ago to register and go online. The system wasn't set up for me to apply for benefits on a part-time job and not my full-time, meaning it kept asking questions about MPB. How long have I worked? did I work at MPB? Meaning the, the mindset of the, um, the system was I don't work at MPB anymore and I don't work for my other station. But I do work for MPB. I don't work for the other station. I was trying to bypass those questions about MPB, but it wouldn't allow me. So I emailed. And, of course, I haven't gotten an answer yet. Like Liz said, I'm being patient. But I was wondering, do you know... What do I need to do, if anything, uh, go back on and try to see if they've changed the system and can I bypass MPB's information or do I need to continue the process like I don't work at MPB and I do not work at my other station and then get denied? And then someone said that there's some questions on the back end. Once I get denied, I can go in further and explain. I know that's a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'm not that familiar with the ins and outs of the Mississippi Department of Employment Security's application process, but I do know currently on their website, um, it does indicate that if you are if you apply and you are denied, that there is an opportunity to follow up with more information or get additional guidance. Um, and so it seems like the most important thing to do right now is to file a claim and to get in the system. And so it it may be that you go through, you answer the questions as best you can to keep the application moving forward, but you may need to clarify some things on the back end um, once the application is processed. And I, I hear what you were saying. And the reason why, of course, I stopped is because this is a federal application and Actually, I'm lying. You know, the question they were asking me, well, how long have you worked at MPB? I'm like, 
or did you work at MPB? I'm like, I still do. So I was uncomfortable with continuing continuing those answering those questions for MPB when I still work at MPB. But I I see your point. Everything is not right because this again, no one this is unprecedented. They didn't have a system set up for this. So I guess go back in, continue the application as it is on the system now, and then maybe like you said, clarify things on the back end. I'll try. Yeah, that. The, the, yeah. yeah, the states are really having a hard time getting their application, the online systems updated to be able to answer the questions. But that's a very good point. Yeah, if you you definitely do not want to accept benefits um, that are higher than what you would be entitled to. So, for instance, if you were working um, and you didn't disclose that information, um, so. Yes, there are concerns about fraud and you don't want to lie on any application, um, but this is like an unprecedented situation and there should be opportunities to clarify um, before you accepted benefits. You would want to make sure that all of your information was accurate before you accepted any benefits under the system. Well, thank you. That helped a lot. I I just have a uh, point of clarification too. When we were talking to James, um, when we said, you know, he would automatically be denied, that's because he's a self-employed individual. So I don't know how that other radio station had you if you were a W-2 employee or if you received a 1099. So 1099s are those self-independent contractors that would automatically be denied. Right. So I was a W-2 employee yeah, there. Mm-hmm. Necessarily, like James, James is going to get automatically denied, but um, you hopefully should be accepted into the system once you go through it. I do have another quick question. I know Liz was about to read the email. This is for just, uh, I thought about this yesterday. If things get better and people go back to work, just say James, for instance, his the industry changes and things pick up and you have not yet um, been able to complete your application online for the unemployment, can you still complete that process even though things have picked back up? Maybe a hair uh, stylist goes back to work and starts doing hair, but she never completed her process. Can she con- still complete the process and go back to work? I think, the, um, and Stephanie, you can jump in here too. So the unemployment benefits are actually, they're supposed to give them to you retroactively to when you lost you know, your employment. So say you applied today, but you lost your job back in March. They're supposed to go back in time. And so, um, you know, people who, you know, in the next few weeks, if they can go back to work, they are technically still entitled to those, you know, kind of retroactive benefits. Steph, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think that I think that's correct. And given how hard it has been for some people to get their claims filed, um, you would think that there might be some leniency um, with that. The challenge may be similar to what you were finding out is that you have to certify that you are currently unemployed probably or not able to work and if you are currently working um, you there might just be challenges with the online forms being able to process them in some of these weird situations we're talking with attorneys from the University of Mississippi School of Law about the CARES Act and the other national legislation during our COVID period time here. Where can you get medical information about COVID-19? We'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we hope that you subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. I'm really sticking with Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my phone, touched the plus, and that takes me to the page to search for podcasts. I typed in In Legal Terms in the search area, and it brought up our show. I touched the picture, then subscribe, and now I'm notified whenever there are any new episodes that are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about the national legislative response to the coronavirus with our guests, Stephanie Showalter Ott, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center, and with Kathy Janice, research senior research counsel for the National Sea Grant Law Center. Both are attorneys and are part of the University of Mississippi's School of Law. We want to make sure that you know you can get medical information about COVID-19 on MPB's website, MPB online.org. There has a huge bar. The whole top half of the page uh, will take you to the coronavirus section. And if you have um, if you have money questions about it, the last nine weeks, Money Talks has been talking about coronavirus. So you can find information on their podcasts and on their webpage, moneytalks.com mpbonline.org. By the way, I, I would wanted to mention that if you have a child in college and they've been sent home because they don't have, uh, you know, they can't be at college right now, um, and uh, you get a refund check for room and board, which which happens, but you paid that room and board out of a 529 plan, you must uh, reinvest that money in the 529 within 60 days of receiving that refund, or you're going to be subject to a 10% penalty and taxed on it. So, uh, a lot of people recommend you send a either registered or certified receipt return requested letter to the 529 uh, uh, provider, letting them know why you're returning that money. Uh, very important to uh, to think about those things. It's unprecedented for everyone. Uh, a lot happening, uh, and we can't answer all the questions. All right. So now let's talk about the let's talk, go back to the CARES Act and let's talk about. Um, provisions uh, to help businesses. I know there are a lot of business. We talked about employees, but we want businesses to to stay open, obviously, so they can retain their employees. Are there are there any provisions that relate to protecting businesses? Yeah. And so there's a couple of provisions that are specific to have businesses be able to keep their people on payroll. And so the first of those is the employee retention credit, which is a tax credit. And so it created this tax incentive for the employers to continue paying their employees wages during the crisis. Um, And so it's going to be equal to 50 percent of qualified wages. But the maximum that can be claimed per employee is only five thousand dollars. And What's important to know is, I'm going to talk about the Paycheck Protection Program, but you either have to pick this um, employee retention credit or the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, But what's good for businesses is that the IRS has already created a new form 
which is Form 7200, that employers can file immediately now to reduce their payroll taxes through this tax credit um, and the other COVID-related tax credits that they may be able to get. Now, I said you can either pick this credit or go after the Paycheck Protection Program, which has gotten a lot of attention in the news. Um, and most of that attention, you know, has been negative for some reasons I'll talk about, but the PPP, as it's known, was designed to provide a direct incentive for small businesses and self-employed individuals, including independent contractors, who have been affected by COVID-19 to keep their workers on payroll. And so the business has to have been in business as of February 15, 2020. And those businesses are entitled to a two-year loan with only a 1% interest rate. And the loan for each business is calculated by taking two and a half times their average monthly payroll costs, which the act goes into quite detail into what will be included in that for your business. But what people have really been attracted to is that the CARES Act says that the loan can be um, eligible for loan forgiveness. And so the loan goes for this eight-week period from the moment you get the loan. After that eight weeks, you can go back to your lender and say, we want to have the loan repaid. And as long as you're technic you know, hypothetically using that money for payroll, rent, mortgage interest, or utilities, the loan has to, you know, will be forgiven. But there's a couple limits with that. So first, you know, the SBA has come back and said only 70, at least 75% of the loan has to be used on payroll to be forgiven, which leaves about 25% for those other business expenses that are allowed. Um, and the guidance on that is still kind of unclear. People are still kind of waiting to see what the SBA is going to say, more so with doing those calculations once those loans start to come in to say we want to be forgiven. The other thing that's gotten a lot of attention is that this program is really you know, clearly underfunded, even though, you know, it's been, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars have been given to it by Congress. The first round of funding ran out in just 13 days. Congress gave some more money to the program, which started taking again applications yesterday. The um, system crashed almost immediately. So there's been a lot of issues um, with the PPP. And the other big one is um, a lot the way the rules are set up, it allowed a lot of really what you would not consider small businesses in your head, like a mom and pop um, business to apply. So there's been some news about um, businesses like Ruth Chris be able to get this huge loan because the rules are set up so that each location of a franchise only has to be under the 500 employee cap. And then just yesterday, it was reported that the LA Lakers actually got a four and a half million dollar loan, which they're going to return. And I think the Lakers are a really good example of how um, the, the provisions were meant to help businesses who've been affected. So obviously, the NBA has been canceled. The Lakers have been, you know, affected by that. But you know, they're going to be able to go on. And so the spirit of what the PPP is supposed to be, the Lakers were not supposed to be a part of. So hopefully in this next round, those big businesses will kind of stay out of these loans and let the little businesses come in and apply. All right. We have a call that we're going to go to. We're going to listen to Philip from Bolton. Philip, thank you so much for calling and being a part of In Legal Terms. Please go ahead. 
Okay, yes. Uh, okay, on March the 27th, uh, my job, which was like 15 hours a week when I was retired, shut down. I spoke with a lady with MDS yesterday who told me that at the end of my weekly, each week I should continue to turn in my claim, even though they called us back to work yesterday. And she said that what I would do is just give the amount I made per hour and how many hours I worked per week and continue to file my claim that I would still qualify probably for the for an offset for the rest of unemployment. Thank you for sharing that information with us, Philip. You're welcome. So I guess if uh, an individual has reduced hours, they, that still allows them to uh, claim unemployment. Is that correct, uh, Stephanie or Kathy? Uh, so the CARES Act does authorize compensation if you're unemployed or partially unemployed. So I think that may be where reduced hours come in. Um, I, if you if your employer call if furloughed you and called you back to work, um, that you would need to go back to work um, because that you're no longer unemployed um, unless you have. Uh, some other good cause for why you wouldn't be going back to work. But if they call you back at reduced hours, um, it may be that under the CARES Act, there are still benefits available to make up that difference um, that's there because of COVID-19. Thank you, Philip, for that call. Our guests today are from the National Sea Grant Law Center, and I'll tell you how you can find out more about the center next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show in legalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows or on our podcast. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking with Stephanie Showalter Otts, Director of the National Sea Grant Law Center, and Catherine Janice, Senior Research Counsel for the National Sea Grant Law Center. Both are attorneys and part of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And Stephanie was a guest on our In Legal Terms almost a year ago, April 23rd, 2019. And you can listen to that episode on our podcast or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. We want to remind all our listeners that up next at 11 a.m. is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. 
we have a call we're going to go to. It's Bob who has called in. Bob, thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. We hope that Bob can join us with In Legal Terms. All right, well, maybe not. <laughs> Professor Gerson, let's, uh, let's continue our discussion about the uh, National Sea Grant Law Center and what is some of the legislation that's been passed by, uh, concerning the CARES Act. Well, and, that, and along with the CARES Act, there's the Families First Act. And, I, you know, uh, so what if I'm unable to work because I have to care for someone who uh, gets the virus or because I have young children at home and there's a school school closure? Uh, so I'm still employed, but I can't really go in because I've got to take care of someone. Is there any help for me? Yeah. So one of um, before the CARES Act, Congress actually passed legislation known as the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Um, this legislation has not got as much attention, um, but it actually provides some very important provisions related to expanded paid leave. So employers with less than 500 employees are required to provide up to two weeks of paid sick leave at full pay to employees who are quarantined or experiencing symptoms, and up to two weeks of pay, um, of leave at two-thirds pay if you're unable to work um, because you're caring for someone who is sick or if you have young children um, out of school that, that you need to take care of. Um, and if an employee has worked for that employer for more than 30 days, they're actually now entitled to an additional 10 weeks of paid expanded family leave at two-thirds pay if unable to work to care for a child whose school is closed. There are some exceptions to this for employers that have less than 50 employees um, if complying with these provisions would put them out of business. But if you find yourself in this situation, um, I would encourage you to talk to your employer um, about these expanded paid leave provisions um, and, and to see if you're able to take advantage of them. All right, we have Bob back. Bob, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm the little guy. I'm an independent um, contractor, a writer, an author, and um, I, I, I can't seem to figure out whether or not I'm eligible to apply uh, for unemployment. Uh, how do you handle artists and people like that that are displaced? Nobody's selling my books because the bookstores are closed. You know what I mean? Yes. So um, the way that we understand the guidance coming from the Department of Labor to the state unemployment agencies is that for individuals are, who are self-employed, the starting point is what you report as your net income um, on your 2000 or you would on your 2019 taxes. And from that number, which I think Kathy can correct me, I think it's line 31 um, on the 10 40 tax form, um, you then work from there to figure out what a monthly um, benefit or weekly wage is. That's how the state's going to calculate that. So you would be eligible to apply through the state unemployment process, um, and that 
reported net income is the starting point for how they may calculate benefits. Okay, I get it. Now, it, there's a page that says you have to supply your, uh, you know, who you've been employed by for how long um, and, and uh, financial information and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I never really worked for anybody except myself. Well, where's the form that enables me to fill out a self-employed um, process? Yeah, so that gets back to the question from the earlier caller. So that the state, it may be up just this week, but the state of Mississippi's website was not originally designed to accept applications from self-employed workers. And so they have been working to try to update the form. But um, as we mentioned, I, I believe you need to go and fill out the form as it is now. You will be denied um, for the regular unemployment benefits because you can't answer certain questions. You haven't been employed by anyone. And then the state will follow up once you're in the system with more guidance on how to handle the process for the pandemic unemployment compensation for self-employed workers. Okay. And what happens when you keep getting your uh, form, your, your fill out of everything, and then you've got to start all over because they can't accept it due to the computer going down? You just have to do it again and again? Yeah, unfortunately, with the computer crashes, yeah, there, there's it's frustrating and there's no way around it. But yeah, I think you just have to keep going um, and try again. Okay, um, but you can't call a number. You have to go through the website. Well, I believe I believe you can call the department for assistance. I think you can get if you can get through to people, they can help you. But I, I don't know that they're accepting paper forms. Yeah, thank you, Bob. And that goes to an email that we've just gotten from Cressida. Uh, I've been out of work since mid-March and still have not been able to file a claim. Every time I call, I get a busy signal or it says call did not go through. When filing the online application, they said I need to call in do you have any insight or advice um, for, we're working at MPB for the last few weeks the insight or advice is you have to have patience they have a thousand lines they've five times as many people they've hired to take information at the employment security division and it is just that slow. So uh, Cressida and Bob, um, God bless you, and I hope you have patience, as does everyone else in the state of Mississippi. Uh, our time has just flown by. Thank you, Stephanie Show Walter Otts. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Kathy Genesee. Thanks for having us. Oh, that's going to wrap up today's In Legal Terms. Uh, Michelle McAdoo and I have been uh, running the show here in Jackson, and we've got uh, Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hey, Professor Gershon, we were social distancing before social distancing was cool. But we hope... We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 